Ladies and gentlemen, apparently you're listening to the Tweedledee and Tweedledummer podcast because our <laughs> dumbass has just recorded half an hour of the most brilliant content you've ever heard in your life, only to find out it wasn't recording. And I wish I could say that that was the first time that that's happened, but it isn't. Dude, we've wasted some great conversations on, on just each other. Uh, and it's nice to have these profound chats with you, but there's, I think there's a level, there's a difference level between when we're having a, a conversation for distribution and when we're just chatting footy. Uh, and as much as I'd love to say that we're just chatting footy like this all the time, we do put thought and effort into, you know, constructing our arguments as to why things are happening or why things aren't happening. Um, and like I said, we just gave you guys some unreal content that now does not exist. Boy, let's try to recreate it. Everyone, welcome to the Jersey Wall, episode number 63. I'm here today with uh, Mina Gali. You guys will know him. He's been on the pod a thousand times before. And uh, we record, we're recording this via Zoom. Um, for those of you who are audio only, there will be one segment today uh, that will be on the YouTube channel. That'll come up a little bit later. So if you're just dying to see the wall, don't worry. You will get to see it on YouTube later today. For those of you who are joining us with just audio, we thank you. We appreciate you. Mino, welcome back to the show. Great to be here, man. Great to still be here, despite the fact that you've actually been here for the last half hour recording with you. Half hour, yeah. I Only mean, we're getting better at it, though. Last time we filmed an entire episode. Only to, only to find out that it wasn't being Yeah, exactly. So, so I next mean, time, this time we cut it short. Next time we'll just waste 15 minutes and then hopefully we'll get to a time where we're recording things that we don't plan on putting on podcasts. We'll just, you know, be talking nonsense for nothing. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, the reason we're here today is to talk about the nonsensical BS and how ironic is it that this just happened uh, going on <laughs> in the Premier League this season. Uh, I think we have to kick things off with the most surprising part of it all, which is that Tottenham are league leaders like and I know Chelsea are at the top whatever we can get to them later Tottenham are relevant in the in the pursuit of a title this season as you know it's November but we're we're about a quarter of the way through the season and Tottenham are somewhere near the top unacceptable brethren tell me again this time for the people <laughs> what the hell is going on in the Premier League this season Again, like I said, I think this is what happens when you give Jose Mourinho the, the people that he wants to, that he wants to build a team. Um, he will sacrifice a lot of flair. So some people would say selling Christian Eriksen might have been a mistake, so on and so forth. However, he gets what he needs to get done when he does have the players that he wants. And again, these are players that he really wanted when he was at the United job. At least three or four of them he wanted to sign. And finally, he now has them, and then he's getting the absolute best out of them, I think. The best part about this is that you actually get to see if the mentality shift has happened at Spurs. Historically, they've been really weak in terms of their mental strength, and they've always bottled it somehow that it's just synonymous. If you think bottle jobs, you think Tottenham Hotspur uh, in the last, I don't know, 1800 years, like we were saying. Yeah, exactly. Um, so this, this is a really good opportunity to, to just kind of gauge how much that has shifted since Mourinho's arrival. Yeah, and, and, you know, we talked about this on previous shows, never mind just the, the half hour we lost there, but we talked about on previous shows, you know, Mourinho is more concerned with the result than, the, than, the, than how we obtain it. And I think when he inherits a squad of losers, and I do mean that to antagonize the Tottenham fans, but I do also <laughs> mean that because they, they, don't, they don't win, you know, things, is that, you know, Jose Mourinho is a serial winner. And when a serial winner 
inherits a group of serial losers, right, who have historically underachieved, which is which sounds a little bit weird, but you know we've looked at Tottenham over the past few seasons and looked at some of their players and thought this is a very very good group of players for the most part. They have some weak spots, but for the most part, you have some truly world class players and a and a very strong spine to the team, and they haven't you know delivered on what perhaps they could have. Uh, you know, and then come Jose Mourinho and he says, okay, listen, I'm going to take this for a season and we have to kind of omit that season altogether because of what happened with COVID, right? So Tottenham were absolutely plagued by injuries. Then, like you said, the board says, okay, well, listen, this might be the best time to buy because the market's going to be, you know, a little bit down. They go out, they buy four new players to help the with the spine of the team, plus Gareth Bale, which obviously is never a poor addition to a squad. And they say, okay, Mourinho, what can you do now? And it seems like now he's got his tactics lined up where they might blow a game against West Ham. They might blow, you know, a massive lead. But then against it, you know, where they're facing serious opposition like Manchester City, who, and we've done a whole podcast about this, are underachieving this season. And we can, we're going to talk about why in a second. They're saying, listen, we don't have to outplay you guys. We just have to take the points. And as a City fan, sure, I love everything that, that Pep's been able to do and, and the way that we've, that we've played uh, because it's just been so, so fun to watch for the most part. But there gets to a point where, you know, the result has to matter more. And if we're in a position now where City are 10th and Tottenham are, what, 2nd? And they're not all that concerned about the way they play. They're happy to sit back and, and unleash Kane and Son on the counter who are two of the best finishers and, you know, and best players in the league who have formed this unreal partnership, like one that we haven't seen since Drogba and Lampard, where they are assisting each other's goals constantly. Mourinho has found a system that works for him. And although some Tottenham fans might say, oh, but we're not playing to win, or, or excuse me, we're not playing pretty football. Others will say, yeah, but we're just playing to win, dude. And that's all that we want to do because we have to instill a winning culture at this club. Yeah, exactly. And I think I, I think you're absolutely spot on there. I, uh, historically, there hasn't been a Tottenham Hotspur's way of playing. If I tell you what's how do Tottenham usually play, it doesn't matter. It's usually based on who the manager is at the time. There's no set identity the same way that you could perhaps find at Real Madrid, Barcelona, Man United, Ajax, those kinds of clubs where there's a definite identity and you either play this way or the, or the fans will get on your back. Um, so Tottenham... I think they should thank their lucky stars that they find themselves in top of the in top of the table at the moment, given everything that has happened to them in the past, especially with the Champions League final. Yes, the, who could have thought that Tottenham would have won to the Champions League final? But I guarantee you, Jose Mourinho team would not have lost the final the, the same way that Tottenham lost. They were just spineless. And I think he looked at that and said, okay, I need to change the spine of the team and I can use the flair that the front two provide. Um, and the creativity that some of the, these players have, but I just genuinely need to change the backbone of this team to make them, you know, to have the, the mentality shifted in, in the whole club. Yeah, and what a change that there's been. Um, if we look at the 11 this season compared to last season, last season, I think, I certainly thought, you know, if Tottenham can play with a six and two eights and those two eights being Ndombele and Lacelso, that will be... That is probably how, like, let's say Pep was the manager of Tottenham. That would probably be how he would line them up, right? Yeah. Because it would, ha it would have those two free-flowing eights. But 
Mourinho, that's not his style, right? Mourinho's not going to play, you know, this 4-3-3 super offensive team. Maybe at one point in his career he would have, but with that Tottenham lineup specifically, as much as we were clamoring for, this is, you know, maybe what their best 11 could look like. We have to understand the difference, like I said, between the Mourinho way of playing to win versus what would, you know, bring us the prettiest football. And I think if we watch Lacelso and Ndombele play together, where, you know, let's say they were playing together under, under Pochettino and it was before they peaked and started to slump. I think, you know, in its day, that could have been a very, very exciting midfield duo because they're such silky dribblers, both of them in their own rights and they're, and they have so much offensively to their game. But Mourinho says, how about this? I'm going to play the way I would, which is my four, two, three, one with two very solid, very defense oriented players to protect my back line. Then I'm going to have two very strong, solid center backs. And this, you know, group of four collectively is what's going to protect us. Fullbacks go ahead. Number 10, go ahead. Wingers play out. And Harry Kane's a perfect, perfect. He's developed into a perfect center forward, right? Where he's playing these sensational balls over the top. Unreal. Yeah. And, he, and then he's drifting in slowly while the defenders are running. So he's at the top of the penalty area for any of the cutbacks from the wingers. It's a perfect false nine attack at the helm but on paper a guy he lines who up. looks like a, a target man right exactly and so if he can play both ways you know that's huge and you know uh, the the emergence of Ndombele has been something that I, I don't think many would have predicted because it wasn't that long ago that you know Ndombele was saying I'll never play for Mourinho again get me the hell out of here and then Mourinho said no I just got to find a system that works to have you and apparently that system is Hoybier, Sissoko, holding, and it completely liberates Ndombele to be the prolific dribbler that he is. And dude, let me tell you, instead of having one Paul Pogba, you have the Paul Pogba that Mourinho wanted in Musa Sissoko, which, is, which would have been underachieving for Pogba, right? Because it's embodying more of his physicality more so than his flair, and I don't think Pogba wanted to do that. But having Mourinho say, listen, Sissoko, your job is to be the recovery guy the solid guy, the short passer, the relentless runner, and, you know, abuse that physicality and make sure people aren't coming by, it's working. And then on the other hand, you have Ndombele, who embodies a lot of Pogba's offensive flair. You've just kind of divided them into two players and two separate responsibilities, so you don't have Pogba having to do everything, but instead you have Ndombele, you're going to do what I wanted Pogba to do offensively, and Sissoko, you're going to do what I wanted him to do defensively. And then Hoybier is going to be the ruthless little aggressive pit bull who's a total asshole on the field, which is exactly what Mourinho wanted, doesn't mind picking up a yellow, right? Willing to make the crunching tackle. Good passer. It's a perfect step up for him in his career. And I'm not saying this because Tottenham, I think, have the best midfield in the league by any stretch. I just think that, like you said, when, we give, when you give Mourinho the players that he wants, then you can start to put higher expectations. And I think if Tottenham don't necessarily win something with this core group, the way that they're playing now, Mourinho's going to lose his job. And it seems so crazy because it wasn't that long ago that we're like, oh, dude, Mourinho's not the guy. And then others were saying, yes, he is, because he's going to do something to give us more of a chance of winning something. And I think that's exactly what he's done. Exactly. Yeah, I think um, you make great points about the Pogba situation. Um, and I think for Mourinho, he'd rather have two players because he can make sure that one of them doesn't move. Whereas if you have Pogba trying to do both jobs, Pogba's going to always be caught in, the, caught in the crossfire because he's 
A, got to defend and use his physical approach. B, um, find the long balls that Harry Kane is playing over the top, outside to the wings. And we saw that Mourinho knows exactly that he, that he can do exactly that because in the documentary, he told his team, watch out because Pogba's going to play a beautiful pass from right there to Marcus Rashford. That's exactly what we saw. And C, just be the creative outlet all the time that everything goes through. Um, and I think if you give him two guys who can do those exact jobs, but it, they're extra, man, extra men on the pitch, then, then he'd, he'd definitely rather want that. Um, but touching on Mourinho giving them a better chance to succeed, I think it's a perfect job for him and it's a perfect palate cleanser for him because he's used to just working for these European giants who have the highest expectations but maybe don't have the most patience. Put him in a situation where he's autonomous and he can, and the best he can do with a terrible team is win a cup. That's something that they haven't done ever, right? Like <laughs> for the yeah. longest time. So Since if he can walk out with the Europa League, yeah, he can walk out with the Europa League or the FA Cup or even the League Cup, which he loves winning. Then for them, that's a massive success anyway. Right, and so for now, we look at this position and think, you know, okay, they're they're what second? I think as of right now. They're in second place in the league. Um, I think they so, might be top, no? No, I think Chelsea's still ahead. Uh, maybe yeah. let's check. We can check. You can check uh, now. Let me know if I'm if I'm off. But you know, this is not necessarily a position that I think. Listen, if the if the team no team stays fully fit throughout 38 weeks, right? Like it's so rare that that happens, especially the way Mourinho plays, because he doesn't like to change his eleven, right? Mm-hmm. You might say that that City encountered less injuries, which, to be honest, isn't even the case because it seems like every four days when he blows out their knee. But there's so much squad rotation that it messes with the chemistry of the team. And I, and I do want to get to City a little bit later. But because I've done a full podcast about them recently, I feel not as inclined to, to go so in-depth with them. But I do want to go in-depth about another team, uh, which I want to eventually have Joe back on here to tell me all about. Um, you know, his team and that's Chelsea because Chelsea are now top of the table, right? Since they signed Edward Mendy. Oh, second. Okay. Well, whatever. They're they're just behind on goal difference. It's the same thing. Then there you go. Yeah. In terms of points, they have picked up a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And ever since, and to be honest, if they had, you know, Mendy from the start of the season, they'd probably be top by some distance, right? It seems like picking up Edward Mendy was the perfect keeper who they needed. It was somebody who's calm and stable, not high profile, not prolific, somebody who's not going to necessarily ease the minds of the defenders, which I think is important because I think if the defenders are relaxed, thinking that the keepers got this, they allow way more chances and way more shots. But Mendy's saying, no, listen, I'm massive. I got long, long arms. Look at how well Chelsea did with Courtois and Ned. So it's like, listen, maybe having a big man is exactly what they need. It comes out. He comes out, yeah, he comes out well to collect crosses, right? He's an aerial monster and he has really good decision-making, which is everything that Keppel wasn't, right? Yeah. He's also not as expensive as Keppel was. So that, when you, that as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, maybe he didn't think there was as much pressure on him because he's like, listen, all I can do is my best and I can't be any worse than that guy. And exactly. then as he progresses, he just gets better and better. And I don't think he's the best. I mean, I, this isn't groundbreaking analysis, but he's certainly not the best keeper in the league. But we often talk about this is like, you don't have to be the best in the league at everything you do. You just have to be the best for that team. And if you put it all together and it juices and it works, you got a good 11. You got an 11 that can actually go out and win and and win a title. 
case in point, Gini Wijnaldum and James Milner. I don't think anyone's sitting here saying that they're the best midfielders in the league, but they're the best for what that team needs. And oh. it's the classic Jurassic Park situation, right? It's, I don't have to outrun the dinosaurs. I just have to outrun you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what Mendy's been saying. And I, to be honest, I, I feel so sad for Kepa. But then again, I think he knows that he's, he's not going to get into that team. No, exactly. And I don't think he's, but to be honest, I mean, if you're him, they signed him on a massive contract, right? Cause they paid a fortune for him. And if you're him, you have to just make a decision. Like, is it something, do I think I'm better than I am? Um, th- or that I've been perceived to be at, at this club. And if the answer is yes, then he should probably be looking for a loan and go try to reestablish himself. Because I think his brief stint in, in English football might already be done. I just don't, especially with like English press and how talked about the Premier League is. I think if you are a country mild, the worst keeper in the league at a team where they should be competing and you are the reason you're what's holding them back, it will really, really hurt you. Mm-hmm. But if he says, yo, let me go back to Spain and just be a really good shot stopper. Let me go back to, to, you know, uh, to, to his previous club, Bilbao. Bilbao aren't paying 80 mil for him. And if Chelsea have, to, but Chelsea will never recoup that money for him. Right. So, yeah, and I think they can cut their losses anyway. I, I mean, it might just be the same situation that happened with Falcao. I mean, he was right. terrible for both United and Chelsea. And then he goes back to Monaco and he's back to his best, right? It's, it, the pressure might just be too much for some people. And he can just fly under the radar, go back to Bilbao, go back to you know any other club that isn't as big as this and try rebuilding a name for himself. And maybe he can get a move to someone probably who isn't as big as Chelsea, but... Uh, someone good enough and can probably get into the Champions League year in, year out. Right, because there got to a point where it was like the Claudio Bravo syndrome. And, like, Claudio Bravo was a terrible, terrible keeper. Like, in open play, he was, at the time, the, like, the, just the worst keeper I've ever seen playing for City. Where Pep's like, okay, cool, we just bought you, at the time, 17 mil for a keeper was, like, the transfer record. Then Kepa's 80. Just remember that. <laughs> And you're thinking, boy, like, you are terrible. Like, every single shot goes in. Like, every shot. Every shot goes in. And then we put in, you know, Mr. Clean, uh, Willie Caballero, Mr. Clean Sheets in that. And he got it done. He wasn't the passer. Yeah, ironically. (laughs) This guy's just the perfect, like, B play. He's just coming. (laughs) He's like, listen, I'm okay. That's my selling point. He's like, that's all I got to be. Yeah. He's like, listen, guys, here's my pitch. I am okay. He's terrible. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm great. I'm not even saying I'm good, but I am okay. And what you have in that is not. Exactly. And sometimes that's all you need. Kids and listening, you don't yeah. have to be the best at everything. You just have to be the best boy in the situation you're going. You're that's going it. to find yourself in. That's it. Inspirational words for Mina there. Um, <laughs> but when I bring up Chelsea, I don't necessarily just want to bash a keeper because I was a keeper. And I think keepers get a lot of stick um, because, you know, it's such a high profile position, right? Like if you win, no one cares, but if you lose, everyone blames you for the most part. You make mistakes are really obvious because they cost the team. I think if a striker makes a mistake, it's no big deal. Right. Keeper makes a mistake, you you lose. And I don't think they get enough credit for saves being as important as goals because sometimes it's like the reason the score is what it is, is because of the save that I've made, Right. And, you know, so if we move up the field and we say, okay, now Mendy is a good, you know, good, solid, you know, addition to the squad. 
we can then start to look and criticize their midfield and their forward line. And I kind of want to segue into this by saying, I don't think Frank Lampard has entirely figured out what the best version of this Chelsea squad is. Because like I mentioned earlier in the Tottenham segment, we can sit here and say this is the best 11 that we think would would produce the most free-flowing offensive football if we had to negate defensive responsibilities. And that's where we just overload Chelsea's attacking players. And boy, do they have a lot of them. But then we start to say, okay, well, maybe that's not the best thing to do because maybe the team's a little imbalanced then, right? Maybe then the team doesn't track back as much as we do. And then, you know, a 35-year-old Thiago Silva who does not have the fitness that he once does can't keep up with the defensive responsibilities because, you know, they lose balance in the squad. So I want to ask you, when we look at players like Pulisic, Ziyech, Werner, Kai Havertz, there's like, there's only so many spots, you know, Tammy Abraham, who's actually looked pretty good when he comes in, right? He, He enables Werner to play off the left and play pretty well there, but I'll get to that. You know, plus um, Callum, Callum Hudson-Odoi, plus I'm sure there are other names that I'm forgetting, but, like, you get what I'm saying? They have a lot of offensive firepower here. What do you think is the best version of that squad to balance it all out? Because, like I said, I still think that there is a way to get the most fun version, the way you play in FIFA, but it's not necessarily that is the way that they're going to win, you know, the league or anything of significance. Yeah, and I think they find themselves in a really good situation. Um, they have this problem, which is a great problem to have. I think it for me, it's all about the game they're playing. If they're going to play someone who's going to sit deep, put two lines of, of four or five uh, up against them, then they might as well put everybody on, on the pitch and see what they can do to try and unlock this defense mm-hmm. and try to employ the, the City tactic from two or three years ago. Um, just our team is going to win because the players that we have on the pitch are better than the 11 that you have on the pitch and that's just the way it goes Um, whereas in bigger games or in you know medium difficulty games where they can actually be a threat you look at you know someone like Everton someone like Southampton Southampton and and not you know the top six games but really difficult games that you actually need to be solid for or else you're going to get punished Um, I think that's when you take for me, Kai Havertz is out of the team for that. He does not start. Um, Kai Havertz, when I look at him, reminds me a lot of what Meza Ozil was doing and not tracking back, not fighting, not... I, I, you know, I don't really like saying this because Berbatov wasn't really the guy that looked like he was doing a lot of stuff, but he was still performing. But I don't think Kai Havertz is doing that just yet. I think he needs to learn to, you know, put his head down, try working hard because... He's no longer at Leverkusen, who built an entire team around him. He's at Chelsea, where there's a bunch of other people who, is, who are probably as good uh, as him. And he definitely needs to put in that work rate. And you won't survive in the Premier League if you don't. Um, See, that's not I'll, to say that he's terrible, though. He's yeah, a great player. I, I would challenge that a little. And only because, and I, and I understand what you're saying, and I, and I appreciate the, the Ozil comparison there. Um, because for those who don't necessarily get it, that's, I guess, a pretty fair one. However, what I will say is I think, Z- uh, not Ziyech, sorry, uh, Havertz actually has the highest ceiling in the entire, uh, in all of Chelsea. Like, I think he's the only one who I would legitimately say, this dude could win a Ballon d'Or. So he has yep. some ways to go, but I don't think the answer then is to drop him. I think it's finding a way to 
use him in his most effective position, which is as a center forward, and then finding the key midfield to unlock Kai Havertz as that center forward who's going to play in who I would have, Werner on the left and Pulisic on the right. What makes me sad is that the person who's at the expense here, Ziyech. I think is Ziyech. And, and the, it's, such a, it's a weird position because when Chelsea initially signed all these players, what I wanted to have, this is how I wanted them to play. Right back for whatever, doesn't matter because you know, you, most of their center backs are, are pretty similar and you can dispute that, but it's not, it's not really what I want to talk about, right? Because you can talk about their, you know, obviously Chilwell's got the spot. Obviously, you know, Reese James probably has the spot because he's, he's emerging. And then whichever back center back two you want is not the, the focus of my argument here. It's that I would have had Conte and Kovacic next to each other, okay? Because I think Conte is better in a block of two. I don't think he's necessarily a Casemiro type who can mm-hmm. hold it by himself. Um, so I like, you know, Kovacic and Casemiro. I personally love the, the you know, the, how they complement each other in a four-two in any system with two holding midfielders. I prefer that they have complementing attributes. So I was talking about this in the last episode with Thomas Partey playing next to Denny Ceballos because it's like cool, I got this, you got that, right? You can pull strings from deep. Yep. I'm going to, to be the defensive rock. That's what makes Pogba look so good in France, right? Because, because mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's saying... Golo Kante next time. Right, because Kante's saying, listen, I got this. So I would have had that as the, as the block two. Then I would have had, in this order, left to right, Pulisic, um, Havertz, Ziyech. With Werner up top. With Werner up top. Now... The reason I would have this is because Ziyech is a very, very good player who's pretty much in his prime, right? Like he's 26, I believe. If not, he's a little, he might even be a little older than that. And his passing is absurd. And I actually think he's better than Mares. I just don't think he's as quick. But his passing and his dribbling, like the needle, the, the precision of his passing is absurd. And he can play as a very effective eight. At Ajax, he played as a right wing. But I think in the pace of the Premier League and for what this team could be, I think you get the most out of the squad playing with Werner on the left because you have to remember, Werner at Leipzig was a striker, but in, uh, with two strikers. Two, so he, yeah, he didn't leave the line by himself. All right? Yeah. Often drifted out to the left as well. Often drifted out to the left and came in at the back post for the crosses coming in from the right, which is why, okay, well, that makes sense if you have Ziyech, you know, feeding those balls to the back post because that's where Werner's going to be. But in that system, you know, Werner isn't leading the line, right? For Werner to be there, he'd have to be playing where Pulisic is playing, which is at the left wing spot. But that's a little bit too deep because in a 4-2-3-1, he's not a winger, right? He's a, he's a left mid. Yeah. And then, okay, so you might say, well, what about... And then, so, okay, what about Kai Havertz? Well, Havertz, to me, shouldn't even be... He's a utility guy shouldn't be mistaken for somebody who can just do anything you want. And I know that's exactly what utility guy is, but if you have a dude who can be, you know, unreal at one position, that's where he has to play. And if I have Werner on the left, which would fit, you know, um, which might fit Ziyech, well then where do I have Pulisic? Because Pulisic isn't a striker, right? So now I have to worsen my 11 by bringing in a player who's a little bit worse which would be uh, Tammy Abraham. But it's not about being the best. It's about being the best for the position, right? Mm -hmm. So now I'm like, well, damn, that's a good team. That's a pretty, pretty good team. 
but I want I want my my Timo Werner a little bit further forward. So I want to play four three three. Cool. I'm gonna have him on the left. I'm gonna have Pulisic on the right. I'm gonna have uh, I'm going to have uh, Ver, excuse me Kai Havers Kai Havers yeah. playing through the middle as the as the as the center forward. Right. So Werner Pulisic Havers center forward. Well, that works. Because now you have two very dynamic, explosive wingers who are incredible dribblers and who are very, very fast to be played in by Kai Havertz, which works. Well, Ziyech can't play eight in the midfield then because then the team is horribly, horribly unbalanced. Yeah. Right? Like, you can't then have... And I guess he could play 10, you know, in that system. But even then, I'm a little bit hesitant because I feel like now we're throwing everything forward. And maybe this is a, a formation that we play if we're looking for a goal, you know, after 60 minutes. But for an entire 11, if you're coming up against a team who's just has more than you, who just has better midfield players um, and who's going to press you, I don't think it'll work. No, and, and that's why I think one of Ziyech or Havertz should be dropped. Um, Which is so sad. Yeah. Because they're so good. For me, it's not, it's not doable. And I think for me, I would have Kai Havertz dropped. I would play... The same system, except I'd put Ziyech on the right um, and uh, Tommy Abram in, uh, up front. I think they've looked really good with Tommy right. playing with Timo Werner. Um, and yet, Christian Pulisic, Pulisic misses out as well. But if you're playing a big team who you're expecting to have to sit back or maybe not hold the ball as much, then I don't think you can play with all five of them at the same time. No, I think that, that's I think exactly it's, it. It's, it's silly to suggest that because they so complement each fun. other so well. Yeah, it's so much fun, and it's such a it's a good problem to have to have too many really good offensive players because it gives you a lot of options. But it's so sad that real life doesn't work like FIFA. Exactly, and you know they're all going to get that game time. It's not to say that this is the team and they won't play. People will get injured. People will get COVID. You're going to have Champions League games followed by really quickly two days later by a massive Premier League game and not having to drop the quality in the lineup is a blessing because you can rotate your squad and you're still playing with the same level of quality that, that you've got in the, in the starting 11 in both attacking systems. And I think that's a great problem to have. So I think squad management is going to be where uh, Frank Lampard earns his money this season. Yeah. And let's see if he can handle it, right? Like, yeah. uh, quite frankly, I think that Frankly, uh, frankly, yeah. Quite frankly, I I don't know if if Frank Lampard thought when he took the Chelsea job that because you th- have to remember he brought in a lot of his of his um of his players from the championship, right? Where he was playing with them, thinking, okay, I'm gonna bring. Oh, that's the other name who we forgot, Mason Mount. Yeah. Right? Who Frank Lampard insists in having in his eleven, right? Who is also very off at, uh, you know attack minded, and I think. You know, he wanted to integrate that core of his championship players, right? Your your Tammy Abraham, uh, your Mason Mount, your your Fikayo Tomori, who is Canadian. Don't ever forget that. But <laughs> but yeah, plays for England. With all, yeah, but that's fine because he was born in Edmonton, Alberta, which is in Canada, by the way. But all of these players, this is like I don't think Frank Lampard thought, you know, boy. 40 games into my managerial career, I'm going to have to make a selection choice between Kai Havertz, you know, Timo Werner, Christian Pulisic, uh, you know, Ziyech, Mount, all of these outstanding players and thinking, you know, what am I going to do? 
the, the job's on me now. The players are here. How can yeah. I get the best of them? And to be fair, he's done okay so far, right? Like the only reason they're not ahead by more in the league right now is because, well, for one, blowing the West, the West Brom game, <laughs> right? Right. Uh, and it's Kepa, right? So if Kepa had, had kept a couple of, even, you know, in two of the games, if he, had, if he had made the saves that he was supposed to, they would have been ahead by up probably, what, six points? Probably. And I think you'll find out a lot about this Chelsea team the minute they get their first defeat. That's when you start finding out. Because have they not lost yet? Um, I think they've kept like seven clean sheets in a row or something like that. So, I mean, with these sets of, with this set of players, including um, Mendy, yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure if they've lost. I haven't kept a track of the, check. their results, but they... They have. They've lost once. What? When? They've lost... Uh, I don't know, but they lost one time. They're in third currently. Uh, behind Liverpool, they lost to, and I'm sure if you're listening to this, you're like, God, oh, to Liverpool, right. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, well, losing to Liverpool is is losing to Liverpool, right? It's not something to be ashamed about. Um, I mean, you can feel shame because it sucks to lose yeah, to Liverpool. Yeah, exactly. But at exactly. least it's a respectable squad to lose to, unlike Tottenham, who are just the worst. <laughs> who are just the worst. Anyway. Um, let's move on from Chelsea. And I want to talk about, like, in, since I have the table in front of me now, we can kind of talk about, you know, a little bit more about the craziness of the league. City are in 13th. That is stupid. Arsenal are in 12th. No surprises there. United are in 10th. Um, it's been a while since you and I have went off on United. I think there's always meat on that bone. Without getting into too much of the repetitive nature that we've had before, let's talk a little bit about Man United. Um, and I guess, you know, what, what's next for, for United? I mean, right now you're in 10th. I've been calling for Ali to be sacked for, you know, how long has he been there? Like two, and a, like two years? Two, like and two and a half years. years. Yeah, so I've been calling him for, for him to be sacked since about two years ago. Really? <laughs> and, Even with the two runs that, that he's at? Yeah. Oh, dude, come on. How, you, you should you know. How, how you many times have I asked, told you? You can't have asked for him to be sacked after the 13th. It might have been for different reasons. It might have been for different reasons. No, but I'm just saying. It might have been at that time went because on two he was winning. Record, record long runs for him. Um, well, surely that would have made so. me want Fair him enough. to resign. Okay, yeah. There and then go. when he's losing, I'm doing it on your behalf. Okay, yeah. Because I'm like, reasons. dude. Right. Different reasons. Never wanted him there to begin with. Get him the hell out. Now what? Because now we've talked about this before about you know him you know uh, leaving the club without a necessarily a bitter taste in his mouth. But there gets to a point though you know Batman quote right, um, die a hero, live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And is that what's going to happen here? Because there was probably a time where okay, buddy, you know the the uh, the ship is on course now a little bit. You got to go like you got to go because otherwise you're going to overstay your welcome and then we're all going to resent you again and the whole club's going to turn toxic again. To be honest, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think anyone's going to resent Oli. I think they're going to re- they're going to ask for him to get no, they're going to ask for him to get sacked when he's in the job. But as soon as he leaves, it's going to be all lovey dovey because you're not going to you're not going to get pissed off at him. You know that he gave his absolute best when he was at the job. Um, yeah, you whether, can't be mad at someone who's just bad. Was, well, to be honest, <laughs> like, he's having a fault. great away record, but he's but the home record has been terrible. So, um, for just this season, um, right. I think he did incredibly well to finish third last season with how with where he started uh, in the beginning of the season. But now, even if you want him to get sacked, if people want him to get sacked, if he ever does get sacked, which I'm sure he will. 
for me, I don't think anyone can get mad at him because you know that he absolutely loves the club from the bottom of his heart. He's right. never going to try to be sour. He's never going to you know, go in not wanting to work. And if that's as good as he can get, then that's as good as he can get. You're not right. gonna, he didn't come in with huge expectations to begin with. So yeah. you can't be shouting at him when he doesn't deliver on the expectations that didn't exist. I think yeah. United fans have to be realistic on where they are, who's at the club, and what kind of players are at the club at the moment. Everyone was saying, we need to get the Deadwood out of the club. We need to change the mentality of the club on the, from inside out, and it's going to be a long process. And if he's done that, then, then that's the best. All you can say is thank you, but the results weren't good enough, and that's why you're going. I, I haven't made a decision on whether I want him sacked or not. I think last game against West Brom was very ugly. It was a terrible performance, but it was one of those where we were not winning a single game at home in this season. All you needed to do is just get the win and move on to the next one. It was just the result, not the performance. And I still think that comment stands. If he ends up getting sacked, I'm not going to be bitter. I'm not going to be upset about that. And um, if he doesn't get sacked and, and we improve, then then obviously I won't be bitter about that. So, See, here's here's my position on it. And I kind of I can't believe I didn't lead with this, to be honest. Um, we can talk about Mourinho saying the way we play doesn't matter as long as we're getting the result. United can't. And the reason United can't is not for the reason you might think. You might say it's because, you know, of the Sir Alex Ferguson way and this is the, the way the United should play. That's not even where I'm going to come at you from, uh, for this. I'm going to say you are, just have horseshoes up your ass where every freaking game you're getting a penalty because of a VAR decision, which <laughs> means you have, you're just getting lucky enough to get the penalty call every game. And it's ridiculous. Right, because that's not how the penalty. That's not. How, I. I honestly am gonna lose my mind if I start. They were all correct about it. decisions, though. But they're ridiculous. Like, dude, th- there's. But it doesn't matter, and you know why it doesn't matter? Because there's a lot of teams who aren't getting the the correct decisions. They're being overturned because of VAR. So it just so happens that but every that's time not United's problem. you're getting. I the, agree with no, you. No, the look. Will I'm not run saying it's your problem. Point. I'm yeah. saying the reason you're getting a lot of these results and all he's getting off the hook is because VAR decisions are going your way, and they are only going your way. Right, like it's affecting everybody else negatively. But United are every game getting a penalty, and every game they're scoring it. Even if every decision's correct, there's probably let's—I'd even say 60% of the other games where the decision is the wrong one on the field, which means for one of the teams they're being screwed, and the decision wasn't correct. Right? Absolutely. You know, you know what I'm saying? You. I agree with the luck will run out at some point. Because even if it doesn't, that's not all he's doing. Right? So there has to be a way where you're saying. We can't just win via one Bruno Fernandez penalty every game because we're counting on this VAR decision. Well, we that was just the last game. No, dude, it's every game you're getting a penalty from that, and then you're set we're, up to win. Yeah, but we're not we're not winning. Yeah, we're set up to win, but you're set up to win because you're getting a penalty and you're t- and you're running away penalties with it. Like, are a part of the game. Your, yeah, no, they, it sucks for, for everyone else team. that it sucks that for everyone else that United are getting these penalties. But again, they were all correct decisions. He misses the penalty, he it gets retaken. They were all the correct decisions. The only one I'm dodgy about is the bright uh, is the bright one where we got a penalty after the game. I myself can't defend that after because I have game. no idea. I have no idea how that's part of the rules, but. I mean, I'm not going to complain because we ended up winning. However, I won't defend that decision because even if it was the correct decision, because it was a handball, it was after the end of the game. But that's not the point. The point is the the only one where it actually did end up being the winner, the, the penalty, was the, was the uh, previous one, the West Brom one. I'm not off the top of my head, can't think of another one goal difference game other than the Brighton one again 
that wasn't decided by a penalty. Whether the mood or the, the momentum in the game shifts because we did get a penalty or because we did get a goal ruled out, that's still not, it's not our problem, right? Like, no, the problem no, but, we find but I, ourselves in, and I think I'll challenge you on that one. The problem we find ourselves in is that our attack isn't delivering. Marcus Rashford isn't delivering because he just came back from an injury with the England team, despite having seven goals this season already. Uh, but Anthony Martial is not delivering, and we still don't have a right winger because Mason Greenwood hasn't been in, in the team because he was mourning or whatever, right? Like, that's that's not something that I'll criticize. He's just not been in the team. So, uh, and, and I saw this stat that was doing the rounds. United forwards have only uh, converted 7.7% of the chances they've gotten. That's just dog shit, right? Yeah, and it's terrible. It's but terrible. Like- and, and if those people score, for example, in the West Brom game, I don't know if you saw that, but Rashford and Martial both had sitters. Martial with two of them, actually, where if they just pick their corners a little bit better than that. That's a 4-0 convincing win and, and no one's complaining. But that's what I mean. Like, you aren't. And, and the fact of the matter is, conversions aside, City aren't converting a lot either. And they're being screwed with some, of the, with some of the VAR decisions, either being because a play was called back for something that in another game it wouldn't have been called back for, or the other team's getting a, getting a decision that, again, is just screwing us. It's like, how can it possibly be going every time? And the reason I'm saying this is because it's like, Ollie's just having this handed to him and, and you could say, okay, but not many of these were one nil penalty wins because of VAR. But even if it was early on or late on in the game, it affects the momentum of the game where every single game you're getting a penalty because that isn't all he's doing. That, that is all he's saying. Oh, got lucky again. Good for me. Like there comes to a point where I think you as a United fan and all of the United fans, quite frankly, have to say, okay, I, I want to be able to control the decision before my luck runs out because at that point we might be 20th, right? Like if we're not getting these penalties, how many goals has Bruno Fernandez scored via penalty this season? It feels like 15. And I know it's probably only like six, but even that six <laughs> in nine games is stupid. It's way too yeah, many penalties. He's also got given. the most goals from open play from than any other. And I'm not criticizing right? him for like, that. Like he's Portuguese, bro. Like I have his back. Yeah, yeah. I love Bruno Fernandes. Don't get me wrong. I'm not here to say he's a bad player and he's only getting goals from the spot. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you as a United fan have the right to say this dude is tactically inept. I want somebody who can take us, who can have us win games or have these players improve their finishing or put them in positions where they can finish better. And we're not winning because of a VAR penalty. We might get one every game, but it'll be the icing on the cake. It's not going to be the reason we go out and get the win, which I feel is mostly what's happening for you guys right now. But I actually kind of, Partially agree, but I partially disagree. And I'll explain why I partially disagree, because I think that's more important. Um, you can't say that he's absolutely um, 100% tactically enough, because he has got his tactics right in the bigger games. You might be able to throw that at him in some of the smaller games when we are just have when we have to win and we're unable to break down a team. When um, he tells Bruno, please go figure it out for me, because I have no idea how to break down But to be fair, teams. you have to do that with right. De Bruyne as well, right? Like, yes... You do have tactics, but at, at some point, you do kind of have to re- rely on, on your good players. And that's what Frank Lampard is doing with, with his team in some, of the, in, some of the smaller, in some of the smaller games where he's coming up against a low block. And low blocks are the most difficult thing to break down in, in football anyway. And that's why Jose Mourinho has seen his success. So yeah. it is difficult, and it takes a really good tactician to break down a low block. So that's not a, a massive criticism that's only thrown on Oli that can be thrown on a lot of managers around and 
it's the onus is on them to try and break the other team down. And Klopp would struggle this in the beginning as well because his whole thing is running behind defences. And if defences aren't leaving room to run behind, then he was struggling and we saw that. Um, and I think the other thing I'll challenge is saying that he hasn't improved the finishing of his strikers where he fully said, okay, Lukaku, I'm going to sell you and I'm just going to rely on these two and I'm going to improve them, the two being Martial and Rashford. Um, and he did improve them. We saw 45, 50 goals between them last season and that's something that both of them have not been able to do. You're seeing calmness, you're seeing creativity from them and it just hasn't happened this season. One, Rashford has Rashford has seven goals, I think, and, and two or three assists in all competitions, but this weekend he struggled because he came back from a shoulder injury and uh, Martial's just not, he's just not doing it. And I actually kind of, this is a conversation for a different situation, but I think Oli doesn't rate Martial. I actually think he doesn't want him to be a striker. I think he wants a different one. Um, and that's backed up by the amount of strikers Oli has tried to sign and has signed since he's been here. Like, not to mention Igalo and Cavani. But also the the other players that he tried to sign, the Hollands, the Mosa, the Belles, everyone else, right? Yeah. And it just didn't happen for him. So yes, Ollie does have shortcomings, and and I'm happy to do a, a whole different episode on this. Um, just, just feel literally like literally diving down. You're here. I know, but you know, it's but it's always going to happen because that's again. that's just yeah. United, right? Like every thing, every single time something has happened, we either go on a massive away winning run but the home runs lacking or the other way around or both are doing really well and the the dip in the roller coaster is coming up or has just happened um and i and i i do also have reservations about Oli, and i think some of them might make him get sacked and probably will make him get sacked and and, and they probably will prohibit him from winning anything of value at the club um but I also think that he has a lot of he has a lot of things that are good that people aren't giving him the credit for. And I think if, for example, if switch the switch the situation with Man City, if you if those decisions were going against you, which they should have been doing if the referees were doing their jobs correctly. Oh, it's not even them. It's VAR. It's not even the referees on the field sometimes. It's just VAR as a whole. Yeah, well, there's like, still referees. Like, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. The VAR referees. Yeah, yeah, the VAR referees. If VAR was overturning right. the, the decisions correctly in the City games, and you were just getting lucky by winning the one nils or the two ones or the three twos, then no one would be putting this blame on, on Pep. And may, perhaps that's because of his pedigree and perhaps that's probably because of things that he has already done. But I think we should be patient enough to see where this team goes. Um, and this is probably the year that where a decision has to be made at the end of it. And I think judging someone in after nine games this season with everything that, that's been happening in last summer and with COVID and everything, and um, players coming in and out of fitness and form, is a little bit unfair. And, and you probably have to wait a little bit and then bite the bullet if you are going to bite the bullet. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to make a decision just yet. However, if I start seeing things that are so glaringly obvious, his fault, I'm then will uh, happy to come on and, and talk about it. Yeah, I think that... You know, I, and no one really clamors for results more than me, right? Like, I'm, I'm more than happy to just take a result um, rather than the way we get it because I, you know, want the team mm -hmm. to win. And, you know, if City had a penalty every game from VAR and we actually had somebody who can convert them every time, I'm not saying I'd be complaining either, right? I'm just saying 
there because I've seen what a top tier manager can, how it can elevate the squad and the players within it, and make the opposition, you know. And, and I'm not saying that Pep is bulletproof, right? Because I, I have had my and I've voiced them, you know, many many criticisms about Pep. But there's there's a what's the word I'm looking for? There's kind of an essence about Pep when you're playing against that team. It's like there's a reason that every team's lining up in these low blocks, and it's because it's like yo. If we don't, they're going to absolutely destroy us, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that United have the potential to have an 11 that could resemble that, right? Like, you're not that far away, right? Like, you get a proper six and you get, you know, Jaden Sancho as the right, right winger. Right By the way, I yeah. was way overconfident in my prediction for how high you guys would finish because, again, I made that prediction assuming you would have those players. But if you say, okay, we're going to get one, a better center back, better number six, uh, and a right, right winger. Right winger and a striker. Yeah. Then it's like, yo, this team's like, you know, three, four pieces away from me, which is a lot of money to be spent, to be fair. But you've already spent a lot of money. You just spent it wrong. It's like, get a guy in the job, give him the players that he wants, and then go see what you can do. And you can instill that fear and not have to say, boy, hope Bruno gets a penalty. Boy, hope Bruno scores the penalty. It's like, no, don't worry. The penalty is going to be the last thing. I 100% thing agree mind. with you. That's, that's the thing. I 100% agree with you. And I want the listeners to, to be sure about that. If a guy's going to be coming in and he's given the, the responsibility of the project to, in four or five years, you need to win a Premier League and we'll give you everything you need to do that, then I will absolutely back that 100%. You'd be silly not to. However, I know that's not going to happen because it's gonna, right. this cycle is going to keep repeating. Yeah. You look at and the that, last that's summer what, that's and what, what just happened. Me. Right. That's what exactly. frustrates me. You look me. at is the last summer. I'm approaching it too logically. Exactly. Because the, the scenario is, is clear. And that's what makes me so mad about the Ollie thing is that we both know and everyone listening knows Ollie's not the guy who's going to deliver anything to you. So what the hell are you doing wasting your time and money with this guy to just be like, well, what can we get out of him? Doesn't matter. You know you're not going to get what you want out of him, which isn't just to contend. It's to actually contend. It's to actually pose a threat, be a, a serious you know, force to be reckoned with. And I think we all know Ollie's not that guy. So if we said, yo, here's the guy. His name is, you know, Mauricio Pochettino, for instance, Julian Nagelsmann, for instance. This manager is the X. guy, what right? Up? Manager X, you know, one of the, 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 the sought after managers in world football, saying, This is a guy who I trust. Because I think that's also part of it is that maybe they don't trust Ollie to deliver that. So why are they going to invest their money to do it? They're going to say, Okay, you are the project manager. I am backing you to do it. What do you need? Okay, go get it done. Which they also did with Jose Mourinho. They didn't trust him enough to sell Pogba. They didn't trust him enough to, to get rid of Shaw or Martial, to be honest. And and that's why I keep telling you, it's not going to happen. If if a guy is going to be trusted with a project the same way that Klopp and Pep have been trusted at their respective right. clubs, then I, I'd be stupid to say, don't do that, right? Like, right. like keep stay with Oli and, and don't go for that manager. But I know that that's not going to happen. The summer that... Uh, that uh, Ollie's just had is the same summer that Mourinho had in 2018 where he goes I need this this and this to improve because we finished in the top three last, se- last season which is the same thing that happened Mourinho finished second Ollie finished third finished top three this is what I need to make another push and actually contend and what do they do they say okay well you're in the Champions League now correct who do you want again this this and this you beat PSG pick one yeah, we'll give you a left back. <laughs> yeah, pick one of them. And it's like, no, at least, okay, how many times did we say, if you're not going to actually get Jaden Sancho, which you know you weren't going to because Dortmund didn't change their, their right. point of view on this, it's either 120 million or bust. 
go spend that money somewhere else. Surely there's someone else. They have the biggest scouting network in all of Europe. Go find someone else that can do it. Or at the very least, if you're not going to give me the money, let me sell the players to fund it myself. (laughs) Like, okay, Pogba isn't working. Juve, we'll take 80 for him. You know what? We'll even take 70 for him. Like, we'll cut our losses on him. He's been a great player. We understand times are tough. We need to make 70 now you're lucky to get him on 60 because his contract's running out. Right. Now, okay, Tony Martial, we're going to sell you. Let's try to recoup the money we made for you. Let's get the money. Let's just break even and spend it again and spend it differently. And I think if you did that, you could probably build the team you actually want to get. Which is what they do the first year the manager comes in. The first big summer, that's what they did with Mourinho the first summer. Got him Zlatan, Mkhitaryan, Eric Bailly, and Paul Pogba. That's a phenomenal summer. Next summer, Fred DeLow, Lee Grant. First summer for Oli. He gets Bruno Fernandes, right? He gets Harry Maguire. He gets Aaron Wan-Bissaka. They spend a lot of money. Next summer, uh, you're getting a replacement uh, squad player in Donny van der Beek, who I think is a great player, and we did we do need him for squad depth. But you're yeah. also going to get some weird Uruguayan winger who no one's ever heard of before, uh, who rhymes with a swear word. And you're also going to get a guy who hasn't played ever in the first team at Atalanta. And yep. he's, oh, by the way, you're only going to get him until January. So even if yeah. you wanted the option, he's not there. Right. And you're going to also get Cavani. And I appreciate Cavani and I need him to be in that team because he offers something different to what Rashford and Martial do. But Cavani was a free agent in March. Yeah, guys, where's he been? You know, they signed him in, I don't Yo, know, like September. Don't even get me started on that. You want to tell, you're going to talk to me about that? Who's been clamoring for a direct big man to lead the line <laughs> for how long? Hey, wouldn't it be nice if we had somebody like I, I'm thinking of it as like, you remember the, the Sham Wow commercials? Billy Mays here. They're a fantastic product, right? Those things. I'm thinking of that style of commercial. Are you someone who likes to whip in 90 (laughs) crosses a game? Are you someone who locks someone up top? Well, boy, do we have a product for you. (laughs) Introducing Edison Cavani, the perfect striker for a system like this. Hello? Just go. And he's free. Nathan Santos. That was incredible. Yeah. Oh, bro. Call 1-800. But wait, call now. We'll throw in a second one. We'll throw in a second Edison Cavani. Which is what low, happened. Low he, he took his little younger cousin from Uruguay and brought him with him, right? That's what happened. That's all you got to do. Listen, it's, we could go on forever because, uh, like I said, there's so much meat on this bone. Um, we're going to round the hour out now. I think we could, we could stay in the Premier League and talk about it literally forever. But you did mention one name there when we were talking about the rebuild of, of United initially, and it was with Zlatan. And, and to be honest, there was a time when he was brought in and he's like, okay, I'm going to conquer England. Did it for one, then one time or less. We're like, okay, this Latin's career is pretty much done from here, right? Uh, he mm-hmm. tore his ACL. We're looking like, it. okay, Zlatan, you're done. So I'll set it up with this. Zlatan Ibrahimovic has reemerged as a serious contender, as, as a lethal striker, uh, not only in just Italy, but in the world. And Mina, you've had him play for your club. I got you something where he signed... You know, I he just did. bought it from the store. But it was a cool little memento of a great player who's played for your club. I actually have – you can kind of see it in the far corner over here of the screen. Yeah. That one right there the is PSG one, yeah. PSG, PSG jersey. Uh, and he's reemerged as a pretty serious, you know, player, right? Like, who knew at 39? Yeah, I've got his jersey as well. And I think Zlatan does those things just so that people can say that, right? He's, right. he's like I, – and I honestly think he's been – directing this and he probably scripted the last five years of his career because 
it's so Zlatan to rip his ACL on purpose, go to the US so that people can say that he's done and then come back and do it again. That would be such a Zlatan move. He's like, yeah, I, it really I'm, is. it's like the whole, the bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. Right. The MLS doesn't end my career. I end my career when I want yeah. it. He just wanted to do that so he could tweet at 35. This is just the beginning. Like, yeah, dude, this is just the you're beginning. You're 35. No, it isn't. And then he's like, Ah, back to Syria. Wouldn't be surprised if he goes back to the MLS. Yeah, literally. Just <laughs> tore, tear it up at a different team. No, yeah. if he goes back to Barca after... Well, I mean, Barca are terrible, right? Like, we, we can talk about Barca Probably a little bit him. later in the show. Yeah, why not, bro? They need a striker anyway. They God, sold the striker and didn't have one, so... But, so, can you tell me a little bit, I mean, and you've had him for your club, we've all been watching him play for a long, long time. What makes Zlatan... It's going to sound so stupid. What a rhetorical question. Yeah. What makes Zlatan so great that at 39... His playing style hasn't been affected by his age. He's absolutely infectious. And you saw that. When he came in, it was him and Mourinho. Those are the two most infectious personalities, whether you like them or not. You're either going to stay where they are or you're going to absolutely buy into everything they're saying. Right? And he's just, his work rate is incredible. He ended up buying PS5s for his team. And I think if that doesn't get you moving, that will, nothing will. I mean, God forbid he <laughs> Meanwhile, everyone for the rest of us. So. Yeah, right? literally. And his, his mentality, his whole siege thing is, you think it's an act, but it's actually him. And you really want to be around someone like that. Yeah, it's just and It's funny. just the confidence rubs off on everyone else. Um, his chemistry is there. If, he's, if he doesn't like how you're working in, in training, he's going to pin you up against the wall, hold up scissors to your neck. Both things ha- happened in the past. Crazy. Um, and it will probably... Taekwondo kicked the crap out of you, right? So he's yeah, he's so physically strong. And I think people talk about um, Cristiano Ronaldo's physique, which is immense. But having the uh, MMA background that Zlatan does, the flexibility is obviously there. And flexibility is one of the most important ways to prevent injury. Yeah, And you can do it either the Ryan Giggs way where you do yoga at 35 or you can do it the Zlatan way where you're coming from an MMA background and you're already yeah. super flexible. And, or at the very uh, least, maybe not MMA, but, but just for karate. Like the dexterity yeah. of his hips is incredible and he's not going to seize up due to injury because, well, quite frankly, he's going to be injuring them, right? He's not going to be injuring himself. If he does himself. get an ACL tear, it's going gonna, it's gonna to heal back up pretty quickly, right? So, um, which is what happened. I think he walked off the pitch when, when he ripped his ACL and now... He just went out like, damn it. So Uh, annoying. Like, not in pain, just like, (laughs) stupid ACL. You thought that this would end me, you fool. Yeah, for for MMA fans, I think the closest closest thing that I could draw to is uh, Joel Romero's eye muscles, (laughs) where his doctor said, this guy has the strongest eye muscles I've ever seen in my life. And I think something similar was said about Zlatan's knees. Zlatan's, so, Zlatan's tendons in his knees are what are the ropes that they use to reel in yachts. Just, <laughs> yeah. That's what, that's what the tendons does have Viking background though. So that, that probably does make sense. No kidding. And really like on a more serious note here, I think that when you have, we talked about it earlier in the show, especially um, during the Tottenham segment, but having a serial winner in a team that desperately needs a leader is key because if you bring in someone who's a leader but isn't necessarily doesn't have the winning mentality i think you lose some of what it could be and the resurgence of ac milan being led by not only their former player but the the charismatic enigma of zlatan ibrahimovic saying 
you guys were okay with being subpar and letting Milan be a team that was just cont- that was just playing in the Serie A. I'm not yeah. here to play for a team that is only interested in playing around. Because if I wanted to do that, I could go back to the MLS. The stakes are higher here. I want to be playing at the San Siro. I want to be telling Ronaldo, F you, you think you're good because you're playing for Juve. I'm going to lead this Milan side to the top, right? And I think when he brings that fire and that energy to the team, especially of the very, very talented young guns yep. that they have, right? Like Rafael Leao, who is Portuguese, by the way, right? And bringing him in and telling him, yo, let me show you the ropes here, right? This is how you make defenses fear you, right? Uh, or Ismail Benassar and say, yo, you're a hell of a player. Let me show you how we do it, right? Like, let me show you what it's like to, to feed a good striker so that you can expect this from your teammates when I'm not here because this is the system that you guys have to be playing. It's a proper player coach, right? It's, it absolutely is. It sounds like the last dance, you know, just <laughs> yeah. the guy coming back to win everything. And, and it's so far it's been working out and probably grabbed Hakan Chalanoglu by the neck and told him, <laughs> listen, man, if you don't give me the ball, I will kill you. So, <laughs> yeah, um, I will kill you. Exactly. Kill you. Yeah. It's, it's, excuse me. It's been actually pretty incredible to see AC Milan becoming AC Milan again, where it's like, oh, and I, I have, you can see it over here, just at a frame, yeah, the Kaka right AC there. Milan jersey right there. Uh, it's cool, eh, that I'll always have a way to segue to my wall. No matter what we say on the show, I'll find a way to segue to something exactly. related to my wall. It's been meticulously thought out. Every word that I say and every jersey <laughs> that I've acquired for that exact reason. Perfectly scripted, just like Zlatan. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, nonetheless, I'll, we'll wrap on this uh, as it relates to Zlatan and AC Milan. Do you think that AC Milan can seriously contend for the Serie A this year, being led by, and in any other circumstances, say a 39-year-old, probably not, but the Serie A is not necessarily as high-press and intense uh, for in terms of running and, and the physicality that maybe something like the Prem is. So maybe Zlatan, and dare I even say this, couldn't necessarily go get it in the Premier League anymore, but in a more laid-back league where he can be the center of attention on a team and show them how to win and be the guy who's finishing the plays. How high is Milan ceiling this, this year? I think they're serious contenders for top three. I don't know how, I don't know when this Juventus team will kick in, but you're looking at a team led by Andrea Pirlo, very, very inexperienced manager. Um, and the okay. Milan clubs, yeah. I think have a better, better chance at doing something. You know, the in, we saw Inter Milan were off by, I don't know, like one point last season. Um, so if they can push on and improve a lot more, then uh, then yeah, and with the addition of Ashraf Hakimi as well. So uh, I think the resurgence of the Milan club is refreshing. It gives me hope as a United fan. And uh, as, uh, you know, being uh, liking Barcelona as well, seeing that Giants do can rise again. Um, but yeah, as long as as long as AC Milan can stay fit, I, I see them going the distance. Um, maybe missing out just based on pure winning experience that that's been driven hard into this Juventus team just becomes habit, and you know when winning becomes habit, it's very difficult to break. Um, yep. And yeah. Yeah, it's exactly it. Uh, I think you're right. I think <clears throat> that personally, I think AC Milan's ceiling might actually be. It's a weird year, man. Like, it's a year that I think... Can't rule anything out. You can't rule anything out. And I think it's silly to say... I think the Juve stock had kind of peaked. uh, And I think that as much... 
their rebranding and rebuilding has left them in a position where they want to be the cool team, right? Mm -hmm. Andrea Pirlo is a perfect manager for that because he's the coolest man alive, right? You have your global superstar who transcends the sport in Ronaldo, where I've heard rumors about, you know, them wanting to offload his contract, but it's like, guys, you, Ronaldo brings in 30 mil a year in just shirt sales and ticket sales. You guys understand the value to the club is worth well more than you pay him. And even though right now we're in a position where you can't have fans, this dude isn't slowing down. Like he's got eight goals in like five Serie A games this season. You don't, yeah. and he's by far still the best player. Even if he's not what he once was, you don't have another player who can finish like him, right? Or, or instill that winning mentality into a club of relatively inexperienced players where mm -hmm. Ronaldo can say, yo, I got five Champions Leagues and five Ballon d'Ors. You guys are listening to me. Here's how we win games. I think that Ronaldo might, you know, it's kind of like these one-man races, right? Ronaldo's leading Juve's inexperience and saying, yo, feed me the ball. And you guys might be sick of hearing that because it's like, well, Ronaldo used to offer all this stuff. Feed me the ball. I'm going to put it in. We're going to win. That's it, yeah. right? Like, that's it. Forget everything else. Pirlo, very, very cool of you. Find a system that works for me because if you're telling me you can't get a system where your serial winner and ruthless finisher can't play in the team, you're not the manager for the job. And it's mm -hmm. not the player's fault. It's like, you know, if we move on to back to the Prem here and we can just touch on City for a second, where City are saying, oh, maybe, because like I said, I've been leading the charge for Erling Holland, bring in my, my buddy Earl, bring him into uh, oh, yeah. to Man City. And it's like, well, well, I don't know, because he doesn't really fit the Pep system, right? Like the Pep system is a lot of, of free flowing and, and it's, maybe it's not with a target big man. And I'm thinking, hey, Listen clear, carefully. If you can't implement a system to get Erling Holland to score, you are not the person for the job. Because it's also it's, a silly argument because they yeah. forget that Lewandowski existed in a, in a, in right. a Pep Guardiola team. A guy that came on and scored five and nine minutes in a Pep Guardiola team. So I, he'll do just fine. Just freaking fine and not to mention he'll be finally offering and I can just get into this a thousand times something <laughs> different. If people are getting you, what's that old saying? Uh, just when you think you have the answer, I change the question, right? Yeah. This is what I think City have to do in now Pep's system has been more well understood in England. And I think now you're having teams that are saying, okay, if we keep players high up, it's going to pin back their fullbacks or at least their center backs who can beat them on the charge because City are pressing so high forward. So all we have to do is not have possession, just be able to boot it up when we do. And then we can just try our luck at trying to squeeze it past Ederson's legs. And we've suffered because of that. Well, now you have an 11 that's almost entirely built by Pep. The entire club has been built by Pep at this point, right? Like for all that it's been in the past few years since Pep's arrival has been the integration of Pep's play and it peaked. And now if we're coming down, you can't just keep doing what you were doing because it used to work. Yeah. Because newsflash, it doesn't anymore. It's not working. And maybe it's because you don't have the finishers. So, hey, let's buy the best finisher around. And it's like, well, that doesn't really fit the system. Too bad. That's the new system then. Because if you can't have Erling Holland leading the line and getting goals, and you can't find a, a system that works for that to win trophies, your time's come, right? That's it. I don't want yeah. you anymore. And, and it goes back to the whole Mourinho Pep, Sir Alex Ferguson. Those are some of the best managers who have ever existed. And they both, while... All of, well, all of them have an overarching theme of how they'd like to play. They all rebuilt teams from the ground up. 
um, in Mr. Alex's case, in the same club. But they've all rebuilt the teams when they've been figured out. You see, Porto under Jose Mourinho was something completely different than the Jose Mourinho uh, Chelsea team. Right. It was also completely different than the Inter Milan and the Real Madrid team. And same thing can be said for Pep and all of his teams. So, Yeah, and this has been longer. The, you know, this is the longest stint Pep's had as a manager at one club. Uh, and it's been extended again. I think, you know, and we talked a little bit about his extension and what that means for the club. I personally think it's more that City have conceded that maybe they won't win the league this year. And that might sound weird because why would they want to sign a manager if they don't think that that'll happen? But I think it's in the best interest of the club to have this guy at the helm because it guarantees the re-signing of very key and important players. And it attracts a lot of top quality prospects who can oversee some of the uh, errors that Pep's had in the past you know, year and say, okay, that being said, he's the guy to take me to the next level in my career. And this is a club that I want to play for because he's leading it. And there will come a time when that's no longer sufficient. But for now, it's the right thing to do, even if it means City aren't getting the results that they need in this moment. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so let's do this uh, and we can wrap on this. Barcelona are off to their worst league start maybe ever. I saw a graphic today that was at least in the last, in the modern era, right? In the last however many years. Since Messi. By, yeah. Since Messi. By some margin. Like, and it's mm-hmm. not close. And I think it's a fair comparison to say, well, that's because Messi isn't what he once was. But Messi's getting sick of being pinned for this blame. And quite frankly, I don't blame him. It isn't his fault that Barca are bad. That being said, there are reasons why they're bad. Mina, tell us why some of the reasons why Barca are bad. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> again. How's that, how's that for, for a throw? There you go. Yeah. Tell us why. <laughs> why do they suck? Hot potato. Okay. Um, I think the, the best answer I could give probably has to start at the top. Um, much yeah. like Manchester United and Arsenal, there are a lot of things wrong at this club. And a lot of them have to do with how the club was being led from the very top down. And it has affected everything, and it's grown like rust on a cruise ship. Um, the Good metaphor. Bartomeu, yeah, exactly. Thanks. We were talking about that yesterday. Um, <laughs> Bartomeu has made some incredibly weird decisions to, to buy 140 million pound players for three years in a row. Like over and over and over again. Three years in a row, and all of them fail. You think of how much turnover there's been in players at the squad at Barcelona. You remember Malcolm? Do you remember all of the other ones that, that left? Um, a lot of the money that's been invested in this team isn't there anymore. And 500 million of the euros of the money that's been invested in this team is tied up in three players that don't really fit any system whatsoever. Yeah, um, they can't play together. <laughs> exactly. So you've got half a billion that, of players that can't play together. An aging Messi... And you sell a striker who has the best partnership with Messi that anyone has in the entire team, apart from maybe, I don't know, Jordi Alba, and you don't have a replacement for him. You, not only that, you also sold him to a direct rival in the, in the league. Yeah, and to be honest, that team is probably going to be the one that wins La Liga this year. Um, I think that Barca not wanting to, and I'm, I'm not saying this as a City fan because I don't, Listen, and it's going to sound stupid, but obviously I would take Messi at City. Like, duh. Oh, would you? <laughs> well, the thing is, at, the, at current like, style of play, and maybe it's because he's unmotivated because he doesn't want to be there anymore, 
but even the the past summer, it's like, yeah, we're gonna get Messi. That's great. It's not the same guy, and it's the it's the the awe and the the essence around Lionel Messi, which is just so captivating. And of course, you. By the way, that's another reason why Pep extends because maybe then we sign Messi on a free in the summer. But for Barca to do that to their player, but then still expect him to be able to do what he's always done, which is provide that moment of Messi magic. Listen, he's 33 and he's not a physical specimen. He's an unbelievable player. Like he can do things that no one else can do. And part of that is because of his frame and his stature, right? Like his low center of, of, of gravity, um, you know, his, his feet are small. So he has like the absurd ball control. Incredible agility. Yeah, the ridiculous agility. And, but to be honest, a lot of what he's done for his entire career isn't the relentless running and pressing. It's been that he can explode past you and just, and what he can do in less time is better than almost anybody ever, right? But when you count on physicality as a player, like Zlatan doesn't necessarily count on physicality, right? Mm -hmm. He counts as, like he uses size well and effectively, but Zlatan's not running for 90 minutes. Zlatan knows the positioning and where he should be to make sure that he's in the right spot to get the goal. Messi's job is to create and to, you know, to create the goals, to score the goals, uh, to, to get the free kick so that he can score the goals. It's to do pretty much everything. everything. And, I do, and then you go out and spend you know, hundreds of millions of pounds on players who don't fit a system. And you and I did the episode where we said, let's rebuild Barcelona. It would cost the transfer or the sale of, of, of the players who they spent you know, money on and wasted. And it would show Messi, yo, listen, here's what we're going to do for you so that you do not have to shoulder this workload, right? Or in other words, if he does leave, here's how the team can play without you. And I think making that pitch to Messi would have been great. But it's so, it's so poorly run as a club and as a board that they've lost so like all this opportunity and all this revenue in, in being like, okay, how can we make Messi happy? Let's just give him more money. How about give him some help, right? Yeah, like true. how about, and not just, oh, the flashiest name. It's not, oh, Coutinho's having a great season. Let's go spend $180 million on Coutinho. Or let's go spend $120 million on Griezmann. Or let's go spend $110 million on, on Usmane Dembele. Who, I could understand the logic behind wanting to make those signings. But if you look at sustainability in the clubs that have been successful, i.e. Bayern Munich are a perfect example, they're not spending massive money. And maybe the German league's a little bit different. La Masia has been scrapped, right? Like, we don't care anymore about, about the players who we bring up. We have yep. no faith in them. We just need Messi to be doing the job, uh, uh, the, uh, you know, to shoulder the entire responsibility. And he's losing some of the physicality that enabled him to be the best ever. And so it's not necessarily even Kuman's fault. It's just that if that was the system, that's what it was based around, it's not going to work anymore it, it just yeah. can't work in the same way and you way can't anymore. necessarily blame ronald kuman on everything because he's going into a team that's not his own yeah he signed a couple of players but that's a team that isn't his own um and this team stands back them. to three asked. managers yeah exactly. and he's it's not like he's being asked to be fair like i'm sure they're like okay try to succeed with them but it's not that wasn't why he's brought in he was brought in to be the hard ass to get rid of dead weight not to make this team that's underachieving go out and thrive that's not why exactly. they signed kuman exactly and yeah, I think the, the decisions made at the top have been incredibly just stupid, just childlike, no thought process put into them. There was no planning and there was no budgeting, for, to be honest. And if this was, to be honest, one of 
if this was a restaurant, they'd be calling Gordon Ramsay right now to come save them. So, <laughs> oh, and that's he'd a probably good idea come in for and a say, show. Could you imagine that? Yeah, be a cool I know, right? For a show. That'd be Just incredible. Axing some of the dumbasses at the higher end of management in football, dude. Uh, I'll sign up straight show. away. Money and yeah, I. Literally. Can we you do and that? I, we can do it together. We can go back to back. Yeah. That'd be the make like a funny poster for. <laughs> as long as I get the position when Ed Woodward gets to leave, I'll be happy with that because right, yeah. I have some Self- ideas, boy. Self-appointed, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think if Barca had made some smarter investments with that money, like all this petty cash that they seem to have people to drop on yep. players, instead of signing players who are at their current best, let's sign players who have a tremendous room to grow. And if Messi's the one to, to cater them and welcome into this new era, that the club will be sustainable long-term, even if we spend that money. I'll give you an example. If Barca go out and sign Joao Felix instead of Griezmann, because Griezmann went out and signed, or excuse me, Barca went out and signed Griezmann with the money. Uh, and then Atletico bought Joao Felix. They literally just used the Griezmann money to buy Felix. Yep. Okay. So now you have a system where Joao Felix has been criticized at times because it's like, well, he's not producing the same magic in a team that's entirely defensive. What if he was playing mm-hmm. next to Messi, right? Where Messi's like, okay, buddy, here's what we're going to do, right? And then they can find that link up play. We're in a team that's attack-minded. That's where Joao Felix would thrive. That would, that would have been, that's how to spend the money, right? Spend it this way. There you go. That's a more sustainable move. And I can understand saying, well, this guy's already in his prime, and this dude still has a lot to prove. No, you're missing it. It's that it's better to make, I think, to make the investment in a kid like that because you're not only showing faith in the person, who would work better in your system, but you're showing the other players at the club. This is the type of business we're interested in doing, right? Like we're yeah. not interested in going and signing, you know, uh Pjanic at 30, who is better than Artur at the time, but there's no sustainability. He's only going to go down from the moment you sign him. He's going to depreciate. He's not going to appreciate. So business wise, you're losing the value in the players. Then on the pitch, they can't perform the way you need them to because by the time they're playing for you, they're not even the player that they were when you signed them, right? And then that adjustment period for them to get used to it is time going downhill because in your adjustment period, they're getting older and leaving their prime and leaving their peak. Whereas a young player like Joao Felix, if his growth was stunted, that's fine because he still has 10 of them to go before he's even remotely the same age as someone like Antoine Griezmann or Messi, right? And if you do end up paying 120 million on him and he stays for 10 years, you're only paying 12 million a season for him, right? Or he looks great and you can probably resell him for the same money. Like there's so exactly. much more upside to signing a player like that than there is to going and spend. Anyway, we can ramble on it forever. Um, I think I just kind of want to wrap the entire show on this, which is that Messi, I think, will leave in the summer because now his contract's done and Barca haven't shown him any, any reason why he should be there. I think it'll probably be to City, and, and I can talk about that a whole bunch afterwards. If he does resign, then great, to be honest. Good for him. Good for, good for Barca. What are the expectations of Barcelona this season? <laughs> Do everything that you have been no, doing. No, no. Everything I mean positionally. Been doing so far. Yeah, I mean, I mean okay. positionally. Like, like, where can we expect to see Barcelona finish? Because right now they're, what, 12th? Yeah, I think Koeman the best would just be finished for I think so, because I think, um, for those of you who don't know, the, the management has stepped down, so they will be leaving. Um, so I think that might be a statement of intent. Who knows who's going to come in? Um, but 
whoever the next person is, I think they probably already decided on who that is. And uh, Kuman probably knows that he's safe and might have the time to actually do what he's trying to do. So you never know with transitions like this. Um, and I think the best they could probably ask for is just get into the top three, genuinely. And, and try to hope for something better, try to hope for some signings in the, in the January transfer window that actually can help you push forward and maybe win the league because the La Liga this season is suffering from the same thing that all the other leagues are, are suffering from. And that's the big teams aren't really performing as well as they are right now. And everyone's kind of at a level playing field. And if anyone can string together, and this goes for the Premier League as well, if anyone can string together a set of five to six consecutive wins, they'll find themselves at the top of the league. Yeah, well, and the, the exception of the rule seems to be Atletico Madrid because they just keep doing what they're doing, right? Like yeah. their system doesn't change or isn't affected by the lack or gaining of one player because a lot of what they do is, is the same, right? And Which is, again, good recruitment. They know who they are. They know what they're trying to do. They know who's managing them. And right. it's just great recruitment every single time. Yeah, and, and to be honest, good for them, right? Atletico Madrid, uh, if they do win the league, Lakes. That's another one, baby. That's another one for the boy. Yeah. Anyway, brother, and I think that should wrap it for today's show. Given how much you and I talked before, can you imagine if I said, oh my God, none of this recorded again? Would have died. I would have stepped away. I would have been like, you know what? <laughs> like, this, is, this is another day type of thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, for sure. Anyway, it did record, thankfully. Um, we hope that you all enjoyed episode number, I believe, 63. Might be 64. I, I, I sometimes lose track, to be honest, too, guys episode blank <laughs> of the Jersey wall podcast talking all about the nonsensical BS happening in the world of football. We sincerely hope you enjoyed brethren. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me again. My absolute pleasure. I look forward to seeing you again, hopefully next week or in the coming weeks. Uh, you guys can expect to, to see me on the show more often. Um, and we appreciate having you. Anyway, pleasure to be here as always. Take care, everybody. Have a nice rest of your evening or day, wherever you're listening from. All the best. Bye.